Welcome to the HS Health Tech Podcast, which covers the latest in health and technology through interviews with disruptive health startups and leaders. So you are listening to one of our first 20 episodes. So first of all, thank you so much for listening. As you can imagine with the podcast, they get more and more popular, which ours certainly did after episode 20. So we started giving proper introductions, long introductions, and we upgraded our equipment and everything like that. So that's why you're hearing from me now, because we're putting this at the start of every one of those first 20 episodes. So I am your host. My name is James Someru. I'm an anesthetics and intensive care doctor by background. So I practiced for five years. I did loads of different jobs in policy and leadership within the UK NHS. I've run two different health tech accelerators to help startups grow, access different markets in the UK and abroad. And now I'm a co-founder of HS and we build, scale and invest in the best health tech startups. So if you want to get in touch with us, then head on over to the description of this podcast. In there, you will find all of the links to our social media, website, emails, etc. So click on those, follow us, let us know what you think of the podcast and feel free to suggest any guests. Hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast. Connect with us. Let us know what you think. Welcome to this week's episode of the HS Podcast. Uh, my name's James, one of the founders of HS, and with me this week, I have Hamish Grierson, who is the CEO and co-founder of Thriver, which is a home blood testing company, for those that don't know, and it allows people to track what's going on inside their body using finger prick blood tests. Now, I interviewed Hamish um, for an article I'm doing for Forbes, actually. Um, I've got a series called Health Tech Stories, where I talk to inspirational founders. Um, And it's fair to say that Hamish is one of those inspirational founders. So do look out for that Health Tech Story in early May. But without further ado, let's hear from the man himself. Hamish, welcome. How are you doing? Very well. Yeah, no, thank you for the kind words, James. It's um, good to be on the podcast. Cool. So, Hamish, why don't you tell us your story? Thanks, James. Yeah, so um, the idea for Thriver uh, ultimately came from a conversation um, that I had with one of my two co-founders, Elliot. Um, We're a a trio, myself, Elliot and Tom. Um, And I had the good fortune to work with Elliot uh, at a previous company, uh, a company called Travelex. And um, as I describe it, I probably going back seven, eight years had um, tripped and wholeheartedly fallen into the Tim Ferriss wormhole um, and become um, pretty uh, addicted to all things um, body, biohacking, quantified self. Um, I'd never really sort of considered myself at the sharp end of that particular stick, um, but certainly something that I've become just independently um, curious and uh, passionate about. And um Elliot had uh, inherited a uh, genetic condition uh, which predisposes him to having high cholesterol. So um, he and I, uh, having um, been plugged together at uh, Travelex, I was actually his manager, and he'd come to me and ask for uh, the morning off work to go and get his bloods done um, once every three or four months. And it was never a problem uh, for me. Um, Clearly, it was uh, a bit of a a pain in the backside for him. And um, it ultimately led to us talking about why his testing was the way that it was. Um, And I'd started to, you know, I guess, 
um, prod him uh, in the ribs uh, a little about the fact that he was on statins, um, but didn't really know if they were working. And he was increasingly, uh, I guess, uh, himself fascinated by the fact he didn't have any of his own data. Um, and yeah, ultimately he did get his own data by uh, calling the surgery um, and having them read out uh, the last sort of five years worth of his blood data. And um, it inspired, a, a, I guess, a, a set of um, uh, conversations and analysis of why it was um, when it was so clear that proactively investing in um, our well-being, um, uh, perhaps rather unfortunate though that term is, uh, that had become commonplace in so many other walks of life, from financial well-being to mental well-being um, uh, to uh, sort of physical uh, tracking to understand your activity, um, that had become pretty normalised, and yet arguably the most important um, uh, part of our well-being, actually what's happening inside our bodies, remained uh, a, a huge mystery. Really, it wasn't something that anyone was proactively um, uh, getting access to. And we thought that was pretty broken. Um, and when we looked at the, uh, the systemic drivers, as in what within the existing architecture um, uh, was making that the way that it was, um, it became clear that really, you know, we uh, in particular in um, the UK do not get access to that kind of information because the system wasn't designed um, uh, back in 1948 when Neuron Bevan architected um, at the NHS to be able to support that. Uh, it was designed for a very different purpose, um, a very worthy purpose, um, absolutely, um, but just a very different purpose. And um, that really was the, uh, the jumping off point for us to uh, ask ourselves, well, what would that system look like if it was done differently? And um, Thriver was the product of that thinking. You know, we set out to um, create a service that makes it really, really easy for absolutely anybody uh, to proactively understand, uh, to keep track and improve what's happening inside themselves, uh, which we see as the sort of missing link, the, the, the final piece of the puzzle. Um, so, yeah. Cool. It's, it's really interesting, isn't it? So you, so you actually set out to solve a really specific problem. So obviously with Elliot's genetic condition and his increased cholesterol, he's having to take time off work, he's having to get these quite regular blood tests, which is very predictable, but still causes a disruption in his, in his life and disruption in his, in his work life. And alongside that, you've got your own sort of personal curiosity about your own body. You know, it it seems that you're you're looking to discover your own physiology almost by getting involved in all these different fads and and different things and as you say like experimenting with um tim ferris's four-hour body and stuff so it seems like this you know there's two quite different but also relatively similar in the end problems to solve there with the same solution that i, I didn't know that actually that's quite fascinating you know we when we first started looking at the problem space were um zoomed in on Elliot's um, uh, use case, if you can call it that. Um, and it was really by sort of standing on that clifftop and looking at what the world would look like if this stuff was turned on its head. Um, that led us to realize actually the, um, the problem in some senses is psychological. Um, 
and the status quo seems to be relatively sort of self-sustaining and because people um, for a long time assumed that there was this uh, dichotomy between sick and well and you were really one of those two things and there was very little in between um, and if you were in a hospital bed or in a GP surgery you were sick and if you weren't you were well and for a long time that heuristic um, kind of stood up uh, and the proliferation of information uh, born of the internet age and um, mobile adoption has unleashed uh, an unstoppable wave of curiosity and interest in information broadly, but specifically about ourselves. You know, what, what am I? What, what are the things that can impact how I look and how I feel and, and my exposure to uh, disease and risk? Um, so I, I think that, um, that heuristic it, it was getting flipped on its head um, uh, regardless. And it's the space between those two poles, between the sick and the well, um, that Thriver aims to add value. Because when you talk to people, um, which we do all the time, what you realize very quickly is that that is a false distinction. And the uh, supposedly well population, um, they might be well if you define them as not being in a hospital bed, but actually they live with a, um, an amazing array of questions and concerns, um, you know, lifestyle originated, uh, sort of suboptimal conditions. Um, and what characterizes most of those um, uh, scenarios is that they don't really have the ability to make progress towards a goal. And that goal um, is typically, you know, pretty, um, uh, pretty fractured, or the, the, the set of goals is pretty fractured, but it's also not an infinite list. You know, the things that people think about day to day are, um, my longevity, you know, am I going to be um, hit by something that I could have seen coming? Um, how could I have more energy? Why is it that my libido slowed down? Uh, I'm trying to shift the weight. What about the diet that I'm on? Is that doing something to uh, my internal uh, dynamics? Um, uh, why is it that the last 20 years of um, uh, you know, drinking too much or eating bad food um, doesn't seem to have impacted me in the way that it has my friend or vice versa. You know, what about the published study that the BBC covered this morning on vitamin D or uh, the importance of whole grain? It, it just goes on and on. Um, and if you group those things up, actually what you see is um, it's a very personalized set of needs, but they all um, uh, can be grouped into a, you know, a, a relatively small number um, of personalized priorities um, and I guess the, the the defining characteristic of Thriver as a as a service is we understand that those individual needs are just that they're individual and as a consequence a huge amount of what we are creating is about um, essentially enabling people to have a personalized experience because that's actually how we believe we can have the most impact positively. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? You're talking about this kind of optimizing of health, aren't you? As you say, me as a, as a medic and, you know, as a doctor, one of the first questions that you ask of patients, even in the hospital bed is, you know, do they look sick or do they look well? It's, it, as you say, it's, it's interesting me reflecting on that now. That is a very binary 
binary situation and and yeah if someone's defined as sick you then do all these different things if someone's defined as well well then it's just a case of getting them home and once you've got them home then they're home so that's all absolutely fine and as you say very fit and well at that point what you're talking about is then that layer above that you know that person might have gone home with questions or they might have gone gone home with with a recovery plan or all these different things that that require arguably another layer of reporting and checking and, and monitoring which i guess is is the region that you're in you know and particularly when you add on top of that the general population will have worries and questions on on lots of different elements of their physiology and and biochemistry all these different things not that they frame it as that but they will want answers to certain things as you say you know why is my libido gone down why is this gone down why is this gone up and why why am i putting on weight why, why am i not putting on weight all these different things and i think yeah there are a huge amount of questions and i think it's interesting that you refer to sort of the beginnings of the nhs as well and and how that all fits in because yeah we're the nhs is very very good at, at, at getting from a binary position of sick to what we would define in the medical sphere as well but you are adding that layer above and it is it is very interesting i think it's interesting for me as well simply because when i was a doctor before i got into tech and my mind quickly changed on this, but I would never have considered in my very early days that this laboratory test that was normally reserved for clinicians to look after sick patients would ever be put into the hands of the population. Now, I, yours was, in fact, Thriver was one of the first companies that I actually heard of from a, from a health tech, um, from a health tech angle when I first started getting into tech. And very quickly, I just thought, well, yeah, that's very obvious. That that is the next stage, sort of thing. And it seems to me that healthcare entrepreneurs such as yourselves, you do just find these problems based on things that you've done before. I mean, just looking at your background there. So you were in fintech before, and you've looked at health tech, and you've looked at this service, and you've just gone, "That's weird. There's something weird about that. Why can I do all this stuff on my smartphone in fintech, and why can't I do that? Why can't I order in these tests?" in health that's that's weird i can do this stuff in, in finance i can't do it in health so you've then just gone about solving the problem so yeah it's, it's just really interesting to me that there's, there's so much going on there that's part of your background that's forced you to solve this problem and you've got this drive to do it and then you're adding this layer of optimization on top it's all just super fascinating yeah i think that's you know it's a, it's a really interesting observation in particular because you um you know you come from uh, the traditional uh, medical realm um and just to, to chime in on a, a couple of points and riff on a couple of points, you know, I think people sometimes mistakenly assume that we're somehow anti-NHS or um, privatizing the NHS, whatever people mean by that, um, neither of which are true. You know, we are really pro-NHS. Um, I have had a number of very personal, um, very good experiences with um, uh, what is an amazing um, and um, rightly defended institution. Um, and I think to the slightly more uh, specific, you know, the testing that gets done within that uh, uh, institutional um, uh, um, set of organizations, you know, it has a, a very specific role to play in helping um, medical professionals understand what they can't understand by just looking at someone. Um, and what we have uh, as uh, product technologists come to understand about Thriver is though the tool set um, uh, itself, the actual method of analysis is very similar to the, uh, the method of analysis being run um, when you go and get your NHS buds done. 
the research and, and the way of interpreting that information has really, really changed. So to give you an example, um, for something like CRP, C-reactive protein, which is a marker for inflammation, maybe I'll ask you the question. Um, I might be teeing myself up for a, um, a failure here, but let me ask you a question. If you're a, a doctor, what sort of CRP level would you see as troubling? So I'm an anesthetist, so I've, I've looked after a lot of intensive care patients, so I've probably got a higher threshold than most. But I mean, generally, what, anything above 10? Yeah, so that, that's probably even, even more extreme than um, the answer I was expecting you to give because you're thinking about it in a really acute setting. Um, but a GP would probably look for a, a CRP over five. And um, we actually had a couple of GPs sort of say that to um, uh, customers who've ended up in um, a consultation with the GP. The irony is that the research is actually very clear now if you live with a CRP over one, you are out of the optimal range for CRP, right? Um, there's something happening um, within, your, uh, within your body that is pushing up uh, uh, the inflammation. And that's not, generally speaking, a good thing. Um, so you, you have immediately a, um, a very obvious difference in the way that you think about uh, interpreting the same test uh, but with a really different application in mind. Um, and to give another example, um, with HbA1c, so a, a marker for prediabetes and diabetes, if you're uh, pregnant and uh, you're thinking about having a baby, on the one hand, or uh, let's say you're just interested in uh, living longer and avoiding getting uh, diseases that you might die from, you might... Uh, do an HbA1c test and both get exactly the same result and both be within the uh, laboratory reference range, the, uh, the sort of target laboratory reference range. But the reality is that if both of those results come back in the upper uh, quartile, for a woman thinking about conception, actually the research is quite clear that that's an additional risk factor. Um, whereas if you're just thinking about longevity, it might not be something that is uh, a problem. And interpreting that, um, uh, that information with the appropriate context in mind, again, you know, that's not something necessarily um, uh, that is happening today in the, in the traditional um, uh, healthcare systems, but it's very important for us because to that point around personalization, we really want people to uh, walk away feeling like the information that they've got is as relevant to them specifically as possible. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that, yeah, it is personalization as well as optimization, isn't it? And you're able to use the research that's coming out now. And obviously, research is always moving on and we're getting more and more accurate the way that we can always look at these things. So as you say, for people that are, you know, ever so slightly just about within a normal range, it's a, it's a scale, right? It's that in itself isn't binary. If you're right at the top of a normal range, well, you know, give or take, a tiny bit you're all of a sudden abnormal so it, it can't be that binary so as you say we're just not afforded the time or the you know the luxury of <laughs> the resources to i guess put into doing that in an acute setting so only it would only make sense that that a service would appear that that would provide that um that extra scrutiny and as you say personalization so why don't you talk us through the user journey then of thriver yeah by all means so um Typically speaking, uh, someone will hear about us either from uh, word of mouth or they might see um, something on Facebook. 
uh, or Google, and they will arrive uh, at uh, thriver.co, T-H-R-I-V-A.co, and they will do one of two things. So either um, they can choose from a, uh, a predetermined um, uh, test. So we have three different levels, um, and it looks at uh, things like uh, cholesterol or lipids, um, HbA1c, vitamin D, uh, B9, B12. Um, so that is deliberately designed for someone who is just looking for um, some of the key uh, biomarkers that impact uh, millions of people throughout the year. Um, or you might choose to build your own package, uh, actually do that. Uh, functionally, as we put you through a very short questionnaire, um, so we ask you um, for uh, date of birth, uh, whether you have any um, uh, dietary um, uh, identifiers, so are you following a ketogenic diet or a, a low-carb diet or whatever it might be. Uh, and then we ask you for your health uh, goals. So you're looking to um, prioritize longevity or weight loss or energy or mood or sleep, whatever it might be. And um, also your sex. So are you um, uh, male or female? And that all feeds into an algorithm um, that then says, right, well, actually, uh, here is a list of um, uh, tests that are um, suggested as personally relevant for you, given uh, the parameters that you uh, put in through that journey. And we try to make it really, really simple uh, to understand why those things are being suggested. Uh, and it's entirely customizable. If you want to take everything out bar cholesterol, you can. If you want to add stuff in because you're particularly curious about it, you can. Um, and uh, obviously the pricing is dynamic. So if you're testing for more things, then the price will be higher. But roughly speaking, um, uh, the average test costs between sort of 60 and 80 pounds. Um, and you then uh, confirm and uh, once you've um, uh, purchased, we will then send you through the letterbox uh, a little finger prick blood testing kit. And the kit contains everything that you need to collect uh, a small sample of blood from a finger prick. Um, and that essentially is a, a little lancet. Um, it's a little bit like when you you know, catch your finger on a rose or something like that. Um, that maybe makes it sound a bit more dramatic than it is. <laughs> um, uh, and, you know, there are no big scary needles. Um, you can do it in your own time. Um, the best time to do it is actually after a, a hot shower uh, in the morning. So you've got uh, some vasodilation in your um, capillaries are a bit closer to the surface. Uh, and you uh, then having collected your sample, uh, put it in uh, the envelope that's uh, self-addressed and stick it in any Royal Mail um, box. And that goes directly to one of our partner uh, laboratories. Uh, those labs are actually uh, the very same labs that process um, NHS samples and they're running the same um, uh, analyzer platforms uh, or kit. And uh, the sample is then analyzed by those labs and um, we then uh, receive the information back uh, and it's commented on by one of our NHS trained uh, GPs that we work with. Uh, and then ultimately you get notified over um, SMS and email to say, hey James, your results are ready. And um, you can log into your dashboard uh, and review them. And uh, there are a couple of things uh, that happen as part of that. One is very obvious. So we show you where you sit relative to uh, the appropriate ranges. Um, you can see what the optimal range is. You can read about what that particular thing is that thing could be LDL cholesterol you know most people don't know what the distinction is between the different types of cholesterol 
Um, and what, really importantly, uh, you can do to have a positive impact uh, on that particular thing. Uh, and then the next thing that you can do is, um, again, uh, using the algorithm uh, that we have uh, to help with personalization, because we then have an actual set of results for you, there's another uh, parameter um, uh, within the personalization engine, we can surface other things that might become relevant for you. So as an example, if you haven't done uh, a CRP test, um, and we've got a set of results back that show you've got an elevated uh, cholesterol profile, the research is quite clear that CRP and cholesterol in tandem, so basically inflammation and cholesterol in tandem, is a far better um, uh, determinant of your long-term cardiovascular uh, risk profile. So we explain that that is true and you would then um, have the option, it's entirely uh, at the customer's discretion, to add that in uh, to your next test. Um, or indeed, if there are things that you don't want to keep looking at, you can take them out. Um, so it's very much um, putting the, uh, the customer in the, in the driving seat. Um, the other thing to mention is, you know, to your point around um, someone who perhaps has a, a test come back and they're toward the very upper end of a, uh, of a range, the building up of a picture of your health over time is something that we see as really, really important because ultimately it adds the most value to our customers. So, um, you know, it could be that you were towards the upper end, um, but maybe individually you just run high for that number. Um, you know, our, our internal biology is um, as unique on the inside as it is on the outside. Um, and that, that might be okay. You might just run a little, a little, a little rich on that, um, on that biomarker. If, however, you see that number change over time, um, that might well be something that you then want to um, uh, address and, um, and do something about. So Thriver is, uh, it's actually a subscription service. It's quite unusual in that um, it's not a monthly charge. You um, can choose when you'd like the next test to come and then you'll, um, um, we link payment to the test itself. So you only, um, you only pay when that next test uh, happens, um, uh, depending on when you select that test to arrive. So yeah, that is soup to nuts. Um, how cool. Thriver works. Yeah, so I'm going to ask quite a broad question here, which is how was that designed? And the reason that I asked that is that there's, as Jonathan from Perfect Ward said on a previous podcast, there's, there's such a complexity to making things simple. So my understanding of that is that it's relatively simple, right? You go on the website, you order the test, it arrives at your home, you do a quick finger prick, um, send it off, and then you get a message with the results. But Obviously, that is a system that sounds remarkably simple, but includes patients, it includes laboratories, it includes experts to um, understand and, and communicate the, the data. It even, even it requires the postal service. Um, it requires some tech to relay the message. How easy was it? I mean, how did you guys go from an idea to that being the outcome? Yeah, I mean, your observation is um, is, is bang on. Um, you know, we are a business with a, a pretty hefty operational and technology stack. Yeah. And um, the actual answer to your question is, we found Tom. <laughs> Tom. <laughs> so tell us about Tom. He yeah, great. so he is great. <laughs> I, um, I, I, I'm, if not 
his number one fan. So does every business need a Tom? Uh, Tom, Tom. Any business trying to do what we do needs a Tom. Yeah, of that I am absolutely sure. So Tom is um, uh, one of my co-founders and uh, our CTO. And um, what happened when we found Tom is we went from an idea to a functioning product within about two and a half months. And Tom built everything. Um, he built the website, uh, he built all the underlying databases, he built the interactions uh, and um, um, uh, security layer between the laboratory. Uh, yeah, I mean, he just, the admin system that we needed to run it all. It was just a mind boggling thing to be able to build as a single human being. Um, we're now very fortunate that we've got a, a team of people working uh, on our technology, not just Tom. Um, because he probably would have worked himself into an early grave if that had been true. <laughs> um, the, the slightly longer answer is, like a lot of businesses, I think, in the sort of internet web 2.0 age, um, what we set out to achieve is um, the obfuscation of a huge amount of complexity so that what the user ultimately uh, experiences comes across as very, very simple. You know, if you compare what most people think about when they hear the words blood testing, with Thriver, you can buy online, have a kit the next day, um, take it and send it back that day and have a set of results within 36 hours analyzed by an NHS trained GP. That just rocks most people back on their, on their heels because it's, it, it just, it, it feels almost impossible. Now there's no, there's no, um, there's no magic to that. Um, it does mean we had to work very hard at, optimizing our technology and our supply chain um but ultimately it's just about making sure that that exactly as you described the consumer experience is really straightforward so hamish is this just a direct to consumer model so it's fair to say that the lion's share of our energies to date have been in creating a direct to consumer model but um we're very proud of the fact that we do have a pilot live with uh, the royal brompton hospital um, specifically uh, within the cystic fibrosis department. Um, and we have a slightly different form of our product uh, designed for specialists, uh, in this case, the cystic fibrosis department. Um, and in essence, it uh, enables people with cystic fibrosis to test at home um, and then have that information analyzed by um, uh, by the clinicians at the hospital. Uh, and the reason that we uh, got into that uh, foundationally was because we see the patient um, as requiring the exact same thing that the direct-to-consumer audience do, which is easy access to credible information so that they can make a good decision. It just so happens to be that they are a patient and just happens to be that um, that uh, is originated through uh, a clinician, but really we see the two things as, um, as, as similar need states. Um, so yeah, largely D to C, but... Um, with a little B2B to C, if you can call it that, uh, on the side at the moment. I just want to talk to you then about growing the business and how you kind of saw your numbers grow over time. So was this quite a quick uptake? Because what, one of my assumptions here is that when you very first started, as I mentioned before, this was a very new idea. This was a very new concept. The idea that the consumer, the patient, the just general population can 
order blood tests and want to order blood tests? I mean, did you start this and just see an immediate uptick or was this more of a marketing play? Like how did you go about, um, how did you go about growing it? No, <laughs> uh, it wasn't an immediate uptick. So this wasn't and overnight success, Hamish? No, I mean, look, we, we have uncommonly high barriers to first use in some senses. Um, mm. You know, we are asking people to pay uh, in order to access um, some information they don't have at the moment. Um, but to do that, there is bleeding involved. And, um, you know, lots of businesses don't have that as part of their um, barriers to first use. So there was a, um, a lot of uh, questioning around um, the, just the sort of application of um, sample collection. Um, and when we first launched, I think the, uh, the thing that we just fundamentally misunderstood um, in the way that we were communicating uh, to potential customers was the difference between um, statistics being interesting and a product being sufficiently emotionally engaging that you're actually going to buy in and use it. And, um, you know, statistics are wonderful if you're trying to engage a, a room full of people when you're on a stage, but when you're um, uh, trying to uh, help them understand the value of your product in a tiny advertising window, um, that's very, very much more difficult, right? So, you know, one in four people die of a preventable disease. That statistic is true. Um, unfortunately, people uh, see it and discount themselves from those statistics. Yeah. So we had to do a huge amount of testing and, uh, and failing um, in order to uncover uh, a way of talking about Thriver that helped people see why it's valuable for them to um, bring it into their health journeys today. Hmm. Um, so yeah, lots and lots of, of, of getting stuff wrong, um, but staying determined to kind of iterate through that process, basically. Hmm. I imagine, you know, the, the value propositions changing is very common to any entrepreneur listening. I mean, extremely common. I think what's interesting for me is that obviously you had your assumptions to begin with that there were people like Elliot, there were people like yourself, you know, the curious and the people with conditions that needed monitoring all these different things. Um, and then, yeah, for you, it was just obviously honing your message to actually get to those people that A, you exist and B, communicating the potential value out that you actually bring, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And truth be told, um, you know, there's still a huge amount of work to do there. And we know that there's um, trust and credibility and understanding what happens after a test. You know, all of that stuff is being uh, revisited on a, on, a, on, a, on a rolling basis, basically. Mm. Um, yeah, most people, if you walk out into the street and say, hey, um, what's a blood test? They can tell you. If you say, do you think they're useful? They probably say yes. When was your last blood test? And then blank faces, unless they happen to have had something serious happen. And, um, you know, in a way that's helpful because it proves to us that there is a huge market with, you know, our ability to, to, to understand what is personally important to them and to, and to serve that need. Um, but equally, we've had to start helping people see how we are not just a traditional blood test, um, because that is a thing, if you like, with history. You know, people just come pre-packed with a notion of what that might mean. And um, it's obviously different in our context. Mm. I imagine with something as operationally heavy as this as well, one of your initial challenges must have been bringing investors along on that journey. What was that like? Yeah, um, difficult. It was yeah. very, very difficult. Um, we were really lucky. Um, we got some 
uh, early investment from Seacamp um, and some wonderful angels uh, who backed us from day one, which has been um, pretty transformational because it meant that we were able to leave our um, our salary jobs with other companies and actually devote our um, uh, our time to thrive full time. Were those pre-existing relationships, or did you did you go out to find those angels? A combination, actually. So we uh, we were very fortunate in that the um, the sort of the, the business leaders at the companies that myself and Elliot and Tom were um, at previously all backed us uh, as angel mm-hmm. investors, um, and we were lucky because they had the capacity to do that, um, and we had the good fortune to to have their backing um, and the thing that actually proved pretty transformational was having seed camp uh, come in and say okay yeah uh, we're in uh, as well that was pretty transformational for us um, because they are a, a sort of seal of approval within that early stage um, mm. investment circuit but make absolutely no mistake um, the consumerization of health and well-being uh, is something that is uh, not a core investment uh, focus or thesis for nigh on all of the venture capitalists out there. You know, Octopus have just created one of their themes around healthcare and health tech, um, though in reality, um, you know, that wasn't the case when we started out. Mm. Um, so it, it was certainly a case of us um, probably not understanding how to pitch what we are and uh, we're planning on becoming very well. You know, we, we should have found ways to explain us uh, as relative to that which they previously understood, which we didn't do a very good job of. Um, and just the fact that, you know, VCs weren't, um, weren't thinking about health tech in the way mm. I think today they're starting to warm up to. But um, yeah, yeah I'm, sure, I'm sure you've got a view on that, James. <laughs> Funnily enough, I do have a view on that. Uh, we, did, we had Gian on the podcast um, last week from Octopus, actually part of the health, care or health tech pod um as well so yeah you, you can see that, that vcs are starting to think about it but obviously you know at hs we're raising our fund for this exact reason you know we're doubling down on digital health and consumer driven health because it is it is not only growing it is here you know companies like yourself are proving that we hold ourselves to a higher level and a higher standard of what health is and you know we need businesses that can come and deliver this vision which is actually of of one where people are empowered to look after their own health that can drive their own health that can keep themselves healthy and and you know prevent um as you say preventable health conditions so it's super important for us that that this message really does get out there really that that ultimately people are struggling very good entrepreneurs are struggling to find that initial capital and yes there are life science vcs that tend to tip into digital health similarly there are tech vcs that do the same but a true understanding of that landscape in healthcare is very difficult and um yeah it's essentially why we started the accelerator it's why that's gone so well and it's why we're now raising the fund to double down on that deal flow essentially um yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, for, for, for the sake of two cents on it, I think the idea that you can walk into a venture meeting where um, ultimately the partner can be persuaded to get excited about um, something from a basically a cold start, haven't really thought about this before, I think is um, woefully naive on certainly my behalf. Um, and what becomes immediately apparent when you do walk into a meeting and someone is just talking your language 
the, the value add that they can potentially bring is completely different. You know, the way that they interrogate your thinking is completely different. Um, and we just had so few of those conversations. It was, um, mm. it was, it was uh, retrospectively, um, something we should have seen coming. And I think the, um, so the other thing I would touch on briefly is, you know, we'd assumed that the, uh, the metrics of the business would tell their own story and that it would buy us a seat at the investment uh, or on the investment um, uh, circuit. And ultimately that just didn't prove to be correct either. Um, you know, ultimately, if you believe in the story, then the metrics uh, support it or they don't. Um, and what we were finding is there just weren't that many people who built their own story as to how us human beings are going to be managing our health in three, five, seven, ten 10 years. Um, mm. So yeah, no, look, I, uh, I think I said this to you before, I'm a big believer in what you guys are doing and um, I'm very supportive. And, and how long do you think it'll be before you guys need to do another raise or do you think you're, do you think you're done? I think it'll be determined by um, how aggressively we want to um, get into new markets. Mm. We still think so let's talk about that then. So, so what, what is next for Thriver? So with that six and a half million that's come in, um, yeah, what are the, what's the vision? What are you looking at? What markets are you going for? So there's a, a huge amount of work still to be done um, to add value to customers in the UK. Um, you know, we want to make absolutely sure that when they have an experience with us, they walk away feeling like it was as truly personalized as, uh, as possible. And they um, uh, knew exactly what to do with the information uh, in a very tangible, this is the next step for me. And I can see that it's uniquely geared to my particular needs. Um, and that's just very hard to build um, mm. for, for reasons that I'm sure are obvious. So we are still very much uh, marching down that track. And equally, we want to, um, because we know that um, customers are, are asking for it, um, become um, essentially a, a part of the solution uh, as well as a, a part of the analysis. Um, and that might mean you know, bespoke um, uh, content streams, bespoke uh, you know, dietary recommendations potentially or supplementation or even cutting across to, to specialist areas where um, that's appropriate. So there's, there's still a huge amount to do in the UK, I think is uh, point one. But point two, we see the, um, the need uh, as global. Um, health is a human phenomenon, um, perhaps world's most obvious statement, but we see it as something that um, isn't being uh, tackled the right way in basically every country. You know, even where you have got a culturally ingrained norm where people do go and get testing maybe once every, you know, nine, 12, uh, 18 months, there is no service. There's no intelligence. There's no personalization. You know, you typically find people walk into a, um, a phlebotomy clinic and walk out uh, with a, a PDF uh, a couple of days later with printed numbers that don't mean very much to them. So we do want to take what we're doing uh, to a, to a global audience, exactly which markets we'll prioritize. Actually, we're still in the process of um, bottoming out. Um, so I, I probably can't shine too much insight on that one for now. Um, suffice to say that, yeah, um, we absolutely do want to do that. Cool. So coming from FinTech, what do you think was different about innovating in health tech and what can entrepreneurs learn based on your experience? Yeah, no, uh, there, there certainly were um, more parallels than maybe we even um, did originally think. The idea of uh, MVPs and um, agile uh, development frameworks absolutely should be the way you approach any form of in, uh, um, uh, innovation in, 
um, my humble opinion. But I think it's worth recognizing in a very similar way to uh, elements of uh, financial technology. So there are certain standards for MVPs within uh, the health tech uh, arena below which you just cannot go. And that is because actually um, you do have a very, very serious responsibility to uh, stand up to a duty of care um, in the same way that you know, people quite rightly have a fairly serious emotional attachment to their money and their uh, financial um, well-being. So you know, just be mindful that the f- kind of fake it till you make it approach isn't appropriate in a, in a number of um, uh, contexts within, within health technology. And that means to some degree, um, you need to choose your backers carefully uh, if you're a business that has to go and uh, bring in outside funding. I would, by the way, as a um, think about whether you do need to bring in outside funding at the time uh, that you find yourself in. You know, could you continue to bootstrap and prove even more out? Um, generally speaking, it's always advantageous to try and do as much as you can before you think about bringing in outside capital. Um, and I guess to riff on what we were saying about uh, investors, just work on knowing your audience. Do not assume um, that all of the uh, backers that you're going to be talking to are born equal in their understanding of what you're trying to create. Um, And the number one thing that any business, whether they're in health or not, has to be able to uh, show a a VC, if you're going to go with a, a standard VC model, is a very, very big potential opportunity. And don't let statistics be the way you describe that. So it's all well and good walking into a VC's office saying one in four people die of a preventable disease. That is not going to get a VC excited because they already knew that when you sat down. So how do you frame your story in a way that um, helps them see that you're solving a really big problem? I completely agree. Hamish, thoroughly enjoyed this chat. Um, The way we end these podcasts is we hand back over to yourself um, to maybe summarize a little bit about yourself, a little bit about Thriver, and give us your asks of the audience if you have any. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you again for for having me. It's been uh, been great, really interesting chat. Yeah, so look, Thriver, just to wrap up um, and repeat once again, our mission is really simple. We want to empower anyone to proactively understand, keep track, and to improve uh, what's happening inside their bodies uh, because we think that is a really key part of helping people live um, a fulfilling life. Um, We're constantly trying to move the envelope forward or push the envelope um, to make sure that experience with us is as personalized as it can possibly be um, because that is both um, the thing that we know people want um, and is actually the thing that creates a defensibility within our business. Um, given you're an investor, I thought I'd at least touch on that. So my ask for uh, anyone listening is, um, again, pretty straightforward. Anything that you can do to l- level up your understanding of health uh, is something that I'm a massive, massive champion of. Whether that's um, you know listening to... Uh, podcasts about health and well-being, whether that's dabbling with meditation, whether that's, uh, you know, having a look at Tim Ferriss or the associated um, uh, sort of biohacking uh, community. 
I personally believe that once you, um, once you let that particular genie out of the can, it doesn't ever go back in. You know, you very rarely find people who become interested in health and um, well-being who then end up becoming disinterested in it. It becomes something of a, of a lifelong um, uh, curiosity. And I think that's a really good thing. I think the more people uh, who have a, that about them, the better. Uh, and it can start in a very, very simple way. You know, my, um, I guess my origination, even before Tim Ferriss, was thanks to a conversation in a pub with a friend of mine who was uh, drinking cider and eating uh, chicken, but wasn't having chips. Uh, and that was the originating um, uh, conversation around the paleo diet and you know, why it is that the paleo diet is a thing and actually starting to think about you know, very basic changes that you can make to what you eat on a day-to-day -day basis and how that might positively impact you. And yeah, just stay curious, um, find a way to, to level up your understanding um, in whatever way um, you're keen to do that, uh, I think is a really, really powerful thing. Perfect. And how can people get in touch with you or the guys at Thriver? Yep. So we are um, uh, from a website perspective at thriver.co, T-H-R-I-V-A.co. And you can get us on Twitter at Thriver Health. Um, you can email me. I'm Hamish at Thriver.co. Um, and you'll find me on LinkedIn, Hamish Grierson. Um, and I think that's about it. Put up a smoke signal, send us a carrier pigeon. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, we respond to, to most methods of communication. Thanks, Hamish. Great, James. Thanks for having me on.